So we're back for another episode of Freewheeling. I've got Lauren Rowney here. Lauren, how's it going? Hello, everyone. Yeah, it's uh, it's going good. Um, that nice wave of good weather I was talking about, I think, on the last episode seems to be coming towards an end, which is so typical of Belgium. But um, still finding things to do in the day here, uh, which is a good thing, but not being super productive, just reading a lot of books. What are you reading? Um, nothing like profound or anything, but it's, it's actually, it's really good. It's a massive series too. It's called the seven sisters. Um, and there's seven huge books to read. So that's kind of why I've picked it. I just joined a book club too, with a bunch of friends from around the world. So we shall see how that evolves. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. I've actually heard of a lot of virtual book clubs that are starting up. Oh, nice. We, I think we kind of touched on this last time. I don't remember. The podcasts are all blending together in my mind now. But <laughs> one of the things that's kind of come out of this or that's come come to be because of this uh, time that we're in is hanging out virtually is you're everyone's just doing it so much more. Yeah. And I think we're just making more time for one another and like as you've probably experienced when you're in Europe it's it's harder when you're on a different time zone to say people back in your home country so a lot of my friends are still in Australia and previously it was like when I was waking up they were finishing work and when you finish work sometimes you just don't want to make the effort to catch up with someone so time would just pass and before you know it it's like two three months and you haven't caught up with perhaps one of your best friends Um, But now there's not really any excuse not to. And like my one friend who who had a baby in December, she's constantly sending me updates of how Mimi is like growing. And it's just, yeah, like you said, it's, I think in a way brought people closer together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this virtual book club. Um, It's a really interesting bunch of people, like most of them I've never met, but just a close friend of mine who's in uh, America actually at the moment. Um, She's like, look, I feel like we need to do this. It would be a really cool thing to do. And we'll probably just catch up on Zoom and then discuss the book as we go through it. That's really awesome. I love that. Um, In the world of cycling, we... I thought originally we wouldn't really have much to talk about, but we've cobbled together a list of things that have happened in the last couple of weeks to chat about um, that actually ended up being quite an extensive list, starting out with the bad news, which I think everybody in cycling has seen the UCI's press release about what could be the men's schedule. Obviously, it's a very rough plan of the races for the men, prioritizing the tour and the world championships and then the other two grand tours and some of the monuments. When the press release came out, the end it said we're yeah. going to announce in May 15th the women, but it it just didn't. There's no... That's still weeks away. Um, and the Cycling Alliance was frustrated because they've not been in, uh, involved at all in the discussion about the plan moving forward. And the TCA, the Cycling Alliance, led by Mariana Voss, wrote an open letter to the UCI about involving them in this discussion of the future of women's cycling. Um, so that's that's kind of, I mean, we were talking about it a little bit off air that it's just a bummer <laughs> that this, yeah that they've kind of not given much thought yeah at all well it, it just it was like an afterthought that oh we'll be back with the women's schedule well you, I've seen like a lot of conversations on Twitter um, I think Tiffany Cromwell actually did a nice podcast with um, some news outlet about whether women's cycling would actually take a step forward or a step backwards after this um which is another point i guess we can discuss at a later time once we do have a calendar but what i like about what voss wrote was the fact that she wants the uci to involve the riders themselves because what got me thinking about um the release by the the uci as to the men's calendar was what do the riders really think about the schedule they proposed they've jam-packed everything into such a short period of time how is that going to impact on the next year or you know are they going to push the season back next year can you actually do that um is it too much racing after such a long period away like what are your thoughts on that 
Yeah, I think I do have the privilege of being almost married to one of the men. But unfortunately, he's not much use when it comes to kind of getting their point of view on this since he's just chopping at the bit to race. And he's kind of like, well, I will race every Grand Tour in a row if they put me in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think actually is how maybe a lot of the men's peloton, maybe not the top, top riders who are gunning to win the races. I doubt Chris Froome is like, yeah, I want to race every Grand Tour back to back to back. But I think at this point in the year, the men are probably like, I want to race. I want to race right now. And I want to race so badly that they kind of are like, whatever. If this is the schedule, that's the schedule. I just want to race my bike. And- yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And that goes back to hopefully the women's discussions will come sooner than May 15th because I think they deserve that. They've been in the dark for how long now? It's just been all this talk about the Tour de France, Tour de France, Tour de France, that they've just gone and made this decision. Um, But for the women, there's been nothing said. And, yeah, it would be interesting just to hear from the women, like, how they see the season looking now and for them how they'd like the season to run in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I I was shocked to read the TCA letter and fig- find out that they weren't involved already in the discussions and that there really hadn't, haven't been, I mean, we don't know if there have been discussions yet inside the UCI about the women's calendar, but I would assume that if there are discussions going on that the TCA would be involved because it's the women's union, like the rider union. Exactly. And run by women who are either in the sport or have recently been in the sport and are invested in the sport. And it seems like a no brainer to me that they would be involved from the very, very beginning about planning the schedule um, because they know which races to prioritize and they are able to talk to all of the riders and see what the riders think, which I, I mean, the riders are the main part of the sport. So why would they not have the input from the riders? It's not. Yeah. And I, that kind of, I'm curious if the UCI did have any input from the men about their calendar or there's a lot of stuff about the CPA and the men and, and not being properly represented and stuff. And I think I kind of am biased on that front because I my opinions come straight from Tom's so I can't really speak much to that but it's it's a really interesting position because although if you think about it how involved are the riders in a normal calendar year and I guess this isn't a normal calendar year they're trying to figure out which races to do and when to do them and how to space them out and if they do say all of the women's world tour races and they pack them into a two-month period like they're trying to do with the men that's going to be the women have much much smaller teams so they don't have the luxury of splitting their team in two and being like okay you guys race the Giro and you guys race the tour if they're going on if they're overlapping or anything they don't have that luxury they have to just be like okay we're sending this roster to every single race Good luck, guys. Hopefully you make it out on the other end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think um, there's definitely potential to put a good few races in October and because people haven't been racing, certainly the season's going to go a bit longer, but that's not the worst thing in terms of preparing for the next year. So, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things will be when they're going to fit in the Giro Rosa if they do reschedule it. as I think you mentioned, it's unsure, it's unclear whether they'll cancel it or reschedule. I mean, it's one of the most important women's stage races, but it's definitely doesn't have the history um, that the Tour de France has. So I don't know if there'll be as big a push. Yeah. I mean, it has, it just doesn't have the coverage that the men's, the men's Tour de France has, which not literally not a single race on the calendar well, actually, has it's that. Just, it comes down to money, doesn't it? Right. If the Tour yeah. de France doesn't win, the ASO is going to be out of pocket a lot of money because the Tour just generates so much money Yeah. for the ASO. Yeah, exactly. And the Giro Rosa is its own little pocket of bike racing that we love, but they're, they 
I assume that they don't have a ton of money just based on how the race is kind of promoted and and stuff. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to say anything bad about about the Giro Rosa, um but it they definitely I would assume are on a budget like a very strict budget. <laughs> I think so. I mean, if they don't even have um live television as such yet, mm-hmm. then that would yeah, you'd assume that the budget isn't big. Even if you look at the prize money, it's it's not big. But that's not why riders go to that race. It's because it's very prestigious. And to win a stage there is, yeah, I think it's like winning a stage of the Tour de France. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, it's, it is the, the longest, the longest like consecutive day race that the women have. And yeah there's something beautiful about it and I hope that they do reschedule it and not just cancel it. As of now, the Jera Rosa and La Course have officially been canceled, quote unquote canceled, because La Course is going to be rescheduled with the along with the Tour de France when the men when the Tour de France figures out like when it can run. Um so La Course will probably happen. Uh but the Jera Rosa, yeah, we just don't really have Big a question mark on that. Yeah. Um Kind of going along with chatting about the Giro Rosa, r- there's a lot of virtual racing right now. And Ashley Moyen Passio last week won the Zwift Classic Trofeo Bologna, which was actually like really exciting to watch. I watched the, after it happened, I watched the feed of it, um, which is on the Zwift Facebook page. And they had commentators. Um, they had Danny Rowe commentating and someone else. So who's probably very, very well known. And I'm very sorry for <laughs> spacing out who it was. Um, but Danny Rowe was commentating, which is great because she's an ex-pro. So she like really knows what she's talking about. And it was really an exciting race. I mean, it was bizarre to be watching avatars racing because they're, they don't have facial expressions. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they could superimpose facial expressions. That's what I was thinking avatar. when I was watching it. I was like, if only they could superimpose like a pain face onto Ella Harris because she was, Ashley kind of went on the climbs and broke up the field a lot and had, there was a group chasing and she went with one other girl who's a purely Zwift rider and it it's really interesting that the dynamic of Zwift racing because it's not like racing racing where there's a lot of tactics and there's a lot of teamwork that comes into play Zwift racing there's still tactics and they were talking all the time on the Zwift feed about power-ups and how they're mm-hmm. able to use so there's this one power-up for the climbs because they were quite like long climbs for riding a Zwift race that only lasts 40 minutes about using the feather power up, which means you lose nine kilos. Yeah. For something like that. For like it's like for thirty seconds or something like that. But holy moly, nine kilos. <laughs> That's so much weight. And they were talking. They were coming into the final lap where they were going to do the climb. They did the main climb uh, multiple times, and they were coming in to do it the last time. And everyone was kind of getting rid of all of their power-ups in the hope that they would get the feather power-up when they came through the start finish or something like that. And it was listening to the commentators talk about it and watching all of these power-ups and stuff. (laughs) It was just so entertaining. So I'm actually all for the Zwift racing. It was really exciting. I mean, I think it's because it's like short and sweet. It's almost the, the length of a women's cross race or a, a criterium so your attention span is is all there for that period of time yeah it's and like the final 5k of a race exactly yeah it's it was great and there's going to be more throughout the season throughout the spring and so keep an eye on um on zwift and they have a schedule of events and you can see the zwift classic and what the women are racing also there's the virtual Giro d'Italia which is both men and women and we've had one stage we're recording on a Sunday so the second stage is going on right now but Elisa Longaborghini won the first stage which is just kind of poetic I think um being that she's Italian and she's been in lockdown since the start (laughs) the very beginning yeah and I chatted with her a couple weeks ago about everything that that's going on in Italy and I mean, she's 
I really love her as a writer and as a person. So yeah, she's she's at the moment leading the virtual Giro d'Italia, which yesterday the first stage was a hilly 32k race with a flat finish, and Lizzie Dagnan got second. So they finished together, and Eliza took the leader's jersey. So that's there is racing going on. We have racing kind of to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so amazing if somehow they could throw their hands up in the air together as they go across the line. I was thinking about that. I was like really, really bummed when Ashley Moe and Pasio's Zwift avatar didn't post up because they could come up with like, they could have like a quiver of really, really exciting post-ups that you can kind of do. <laughs> like what if you could, what if you could have in your quiver of post-up post-ups tom's tour of california dance <laughs> i think that would be like the number one post-up i've ever seen yes so that's zwift kaylee people wants zwift. you <laughs> kaylee wants you to have bananas that you can throw on throw on the road and have people crash <laughs> lauren like Kart. <laughs> yeah lauren and i would like everyone to have a quiver of post-ups so that when you win you can post up at the end of the race well, it would come up like a power-up, like you get to choose. Or yeah, exactly. Actually, you don't get to choose, it sort of chooses It just like you. randomly gives you one? Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that, as long and as the avatars the can race, put their arms in the air. Or if you lose the race, it can be like, what's his name? Bohan. Oh, I can't say his oh, name. Oh, where you hit the bars? Yes, you know, that angry. one. Yeah. Then it like zooms in on the face. Yeah, yeah. And they're frowning. Yeah. <laughs> Great ideas for the future of Zwift. If this is the racing that we have, we might as well try to make it as entertaining as possible. Oh, we want suffer fun. faces. I... We want hurt, like sad faces at the end. Yeah. <laughs> also, so European countries are still in quarantine. The U.S. is in a shelter in place with social distancing and most of the, ro- the world is social distancing. And with that being a thing anti-doping at-home tests aren't happening right now, which is very interesting. Lauren, what do you think of that there's no way to test right now? It was, um, it's funny. It's a friend of mine who brought it up with me uh, a few weeks ago when I said I was going to interview some of the pro women. And he said, oh, I've got an interesting question for you. How do the women feel about there being no testing at the moment? Do you think it will be a two-speed peloton? And I was like, hmm, interesting point. Well, of course, yeah, I mean, people are going to cheat if they have the opportunity to, and that's the way they're inclined. Um, I don't know how USADA is going to tackle this because, um, yeah, obviously with social distancing, you can't just show up on someone's doorstep and ask to test them at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. All that being said, there's going to be months that pass that there will be no yeah, regulation of doping. Um, And again, I'm not that knowledgeable on how doping works as such, but I'm assuming a lot of it it is done out of competition in that that pre-season. That being said, without there being dates really, you know, in place for racing, isn't doping like kind of put into the training schedule as such? I don't know. It's all yeah. sort of gray for me. I'm not really sure either, but I know that when when you dope, there's a lasting effect. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so like steroids and EPO and stuff, I assume people do, yeah, in the off-season or like in base training, and then you have it. It's a lasting effect for months. Mm-hmm. And when riders are in off season normally and are at home, they can still get, they still get tested surprise visits from WADA and from their country, their, their country's dope testers. So like Tom's gets tested all through the off season, whether he's in Girona or here or in Latvia or here being the USA. And for example, the, um, the, girl on Park Hotel Valkenberg who tested positive this offseason for steroids um so it I mean it it we would be naive to say that there's no doping in the women's peloton so this is a very very interesting kind of thought that I hadn't before you brought it up yesterday I hadn't actually thought much about um that people would 
maybe see an opportunity here to have months and months and months where they're not going to be tested, surprise tested. So, yeah, it's really interesting. USADA, the U.S. anti-doping agency, announced in the last couple of days that they're trying to make an at-home self-administered anti-doping test where the athletes are sent yeah. home blood and <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, sent a at-home blood and urine test. And then the tester can call them on Zoom within their allotted time slot. So they have one hour. I talked to Greta Niemannis on an earlier podcast, one of the first ones, about all of the anti-doping and, and how it works and stuff like that. So if you don't know, I would recommend that podcast. You have a lotted hour-long slot every single day, so the tester can Zoom you during that one-hour period, and then they can do the at-home test where you're self, self-administering it. The thing that I found most hilarious about this was that they... The athletes wouldn't have to be uh, observed while they're actually urinating, which... Which defeats the whole purpose because (laughs) when you do a doping test, like I'm sure you have in person, like the first time I did it, the most horrible thing was the fact that the person had to watch me urinate to make sure I was peeing on the the testing stick or whatever it was. What do you pee on? Pee in a cup. Uh, you pee in a cup. Make sure that it's actually your urine and you don't have like a bag taped to your inner thigh between your butt cheeks or something. Yeah. yeah, and it they said that they wouldn't be observing the the urinating due to privacy. So I well, I mean, then if was, you if you're someone yeah. doping and you know you're going to be tested, of course, yeah, you'll you'll go and do the test, but you'll probably have. A bunch of bags in your toilet room or something so yeah I mean like I appreciate the effort but yeah yeah it's very interesting they said they were able to monitor the temperature of the urine and that they would time how long it takes which I I just don't see how that if if somebody going to the lengths to dope then they would have they would definitely have something in place to kind of cheat the system so I'd have their bases covered for sure yeah, yeah, and like you said, I appreciate the effort. I I did giggle as I read the article about this. <laughs> Cuz I was like due to privacy reasons, <laughs> like there's no Imagine privacy. That, like going to the toilet and having to angle your angle your computer so the zoom is. <laughs> <laughs> and then the test is on the other end. I mean to zoom in. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I mean yeah this is a very interesting topic that I just I don't know enough about about doping or doping in the women's peloton to be able to say anything then other than like just what I know in general about the topic so I don't know it's it's super interesting I mean I wish we didn't have to, I wish that there was no doping in the women's Peloton and we didn't have to speculate about it. And we could like kind of speculate about the men's Peloton as a joke, but unfortunately (laughs) there is doping in the women's Peloton. Not that we don't know a ton about it, but I mean, human nature and the fact that there have been positive tests in the past kind of leads to, yeah, yes, it is happening. Yeah. Um, it just reminds me of that quote by Sun Tzu. I actually came across it today. In the mists of chaos, there's always opportunity. Oh, that that's that takes like a very beautiful quote and kind of spins it into like a, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that leads actually really nicely onto what Molly Weaver has done, right? Um, yeah. For those who haven't been following her, but I'm sure a lot of the Cycling Tips podcast listeners would um, be a fan of Molly. She's ridden quite a bit for Cycling Tips, and she did this amazing thing on the weekend called um, the Dirty Weaver, and it was a play on words because uh, she was meant to be racing yesterday, which was Saturday, the the Dirty Weaver, which is um, a 130-kilometer gravel race in the UK. But because of um, COVID-19 and the cancellation of mass events, Molly's event was cancelled and anyone who follows Molly knows that she's been training really hard um, to do a whole bunch of really cool endurance events this year. So she took the knock pretty hard and um, she decided, well, 
I have an opportunity to do something and I have the time. And she came up with this crazy idea to do the event in her backyard, um, which ended up being 1,300 laps of her parents' garden. Yeah. Yeah, it was – it took her about 12 hours, I think, and looked just horrible. Yeah, it (laughs) – Leading up to it, the weather seemed like it was pretty good in all of her videos about making the course and um, getting test riding the course and stuff. And then on the actual day, it was she had to stop multiple times to clean off her bike because it was so caked with mud. And the, her poor mother's yard. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Just her mother destroyed. loves her garden too. But oh. I think since the flood, it's like I was saying to Hannes. Molly was telling me how much her her mother loves her garden, but unfortunately during the floods, um, it all got like washed away. But from the videos, it still looked like there was a lot of grass left. It looked pretty gorgeous. And one of my favorite videos from the whole thing was when Molly was riding and her mom was gardening gardening behind her. Yeah. And it was like gardening stops for no one. I just loved it. Best thing about it was that she raised over 10,000 pounds. So she only had a two and a half thousand pound um, goal to raise for the Women's Aid Foundation or Federation of England. Um, But she raised well over 10,000. I think it might even be up to 12,000 today. Yeah, when I checked this morning, right before we started recording, it was at 11,500. So just amazing. I mean... I think she, her goal was so small compared to what she got and people really rallied around what she was doing. And, um, I mean, it was really, really cool to watch and Molly is just an awesome person and this, the whole thing was incredible. So I'll definitely talk to her about it on, um, the next podcast for now. She's a little bit tired. She said it was the hardest thing she's ever done physically and mentally which yeah I I believe it that is oh man to have your bed be like right there (laughs) oh and the amount of time she she could have quit if she wanted to but that's not Molly and also the cause she was doing it for the right reasons but I think in terms of um how mentally tough you have to be to do something like that it's like the crazy people who are Everesting on Zwift insane um it's really going to prepare her for when the the lockdowns are lifted and she can go out and finally do all those adventure races that she set her mind to yeah definitely and if you haven't um seen stuff about what she like videos and stuff she has a bunch on her instagram and i would really really encourage people to go check out like her twitter and her instagram to see exactly how muddy it is because holy moly it was so muddy just think of like one of the muddiest cyclocross races yeah and, how and it was to- really cool she had like start flags and arrows where the course was and i was i was very impressed it was adorable all it, was it needed so was a great. dog chasing her around the yard yeah exactly <laughs> should have <laughs> sent Ezzy over she would have had a blast so the last thing that we have to mention is another awesome cause that's happening right now so velocio for the last couple years since 2017 they every year have released a unity jersey which is a beautifully designed uh rainbow-ish type jersey that every year they have they drop the jersey and they have a cause and when you buy the jersey you can select from a list of maybe three causes what you want the money to go to and they dropped the Unity jersey a week ago or so um, for all the causes that they have are coronavirus related. So there are Save the Children slash No Kid Hun- Hungry is the first, Project Cure, and the Coronavirus Relief Fund. And the jersey is on pre-order only, so you can pre-order until May 1st. And 100% of the proceeds go to the cause that you select when you check out. So this is a really, really cool thing that Velocio has been doing for many years, but it seems the most relevant right now because of everything that's going on. We are all unified in mm-hmm. what what's the world is, where the world is right now. And this jersey is just, I mean, it's gorgeous for one, but the idea behind it is more real than ever 
I feel like. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, yeah, like you said, Bellocchio has been um, doing this campaign for some years now if people aren't aware of it. Um, but, yeah, this time 100% of the proceeds – oh, actually, no, every year 100% of the proceeds go to a designated foundation. And I think they've already donated around 5,000. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the campaign – the pre-order's only been – a week and a half, I would say, online. So if you want to check it out and um, buy a really nice jersey that you can eventually show off to all your friends when the bunch rides start up again, you can head over to velocio.cc and check out the Unity page um, and then select the charity that you want to donate to. So I think it's super relevant, particularly to the um, the U.S. Uh, listeners because I think a lot of these charities are actually US based Mm -hmm. yeah um and the the design is really something special I think this might be my favorite unity jersey that they've ever done oh I Um, agree yeah it's so pretty um the design is inspired by the tulip fields in the Netherlands which is just I mean it's block colors but it's just gorgeous and they say on the page um on the unity page they talk about why they've done this design but one of the things that they said that i just wanted to read really quick the design of this year's unity jersey reflects our position it's inspired by images of the dutch tulip fields taken from above broad swaths of color so artful and impacting they inspire us yet standing alone in each field it's impossible to see the effect of each individual tulip there's merely the flower or row of flowers in front of you. So mm. I thought, I mean, it's so relevant. We can't say enough how relevant this jersey is right now. And and what Velocio is doing is is awesome. So that that's it. That's that's what we got. That's what we got for news today. Yes, and also there will be Velocio Zwift rides coming. So stay tuned oh, for that. I've been begging them. <laughs> Swift and Velocio, and Velocio's like, we, we're trying, and I'm like, Swift, please. <laughs> please let us on your platform. <laughs> yeah. We want to be part of the cool kids. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the interview. We still have an interview to go today, even though we did end up having a lot to discuss, me and you. <laughs> but I chatted with Taylor Wiles, who a couple weeks ago wrote a piece for Cycling Tips about being in Spain when the lockdown started and then coming back to California, where her and her wife live. Um, and she wrote this piece, and it was so beautifully written. And I I cried reading it because Girona is very dear, I mean, to both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a amazing place just the community there and the riding there and thinking about how this is gonna what this is gonna do to the community of Girona when we come out of it and what it's doing to them now is just heartbreaking um but Taylor wrote this piece and now she's been home for a couple weeks and I wanted to catch up with her and see how she's doing now that she's back home and what opinion she has on everything going on and so I talked with Taylor I hope you enjoy it. So we are here with Taylor Wiles. On March 26th, Taylor wrote an amazing piece about experiencing the lockdown in Girona, Spain from the very beginning, going from basically about to fly to Strada Bianchi to being back in Girona, everything happening really quickly, and then all of a sudden being in lockdown and making the decision to come back to the States after about a week in lockdown. Um, I wanted to catch up with Taylor now that she's home in California and see how she's doing. I kind of wrote that piece. It was pretty therapeutic I, when everything was happening in Spain and we were kind of trying to decide if we were going to stay or if we were going to leave and what we were doing. I felt like the world was changing so much every single day. It was it was absolutely insane because when we were first there, I was like, oh, you know, some races are getting canceled. Things might get shut down for a little bit. And then you heard about what was happening in Italy and you're like, oh, that seems harsh. Like, really? They can't even go outside? And 
oh, that'll never happen here. And then, <laughs> and then in Spain, it was like over a 24 hour period, it was like, yep, we're locking everything down. Can't go outside. And it's almost like you're in denial about it for a while. Or you think like, ah, can they really police that? I think especially as, as Americans, we're just not used to like that level of, of policing. And, actually of cooperation like I was shocked like the next day people were in their houses and people were following the rules and it was kind of really awesome in that way because I just don't I just don't know that that could happen in the U.S. (laughs) Um, and I mean we made a few mistakes in the beginning because we we just didn't even realize since we don't sadly and I'm embarrassed to admit that I've lived there for five years on and off and I don't speak Spanish or Catalan like I can pick out small words, but yeah, not fluent. So we didn't really know what was going on. And we had um, Federico, who runs the coffee shop blend, would send us voice memos kind of telling us what was happening. So we were a little bit informed. But like, the first day of the lockdown, Olivia and I were just walking to the grocery store and we got stopped by the the police. And they were like, why are you together? And we're like, what? what? Like, you're only supposed to go one person to the grocery store, which makes complete sense now. But at that time, I was like, really? We can't even walk to the grocery store together? And it just felt so strange to be kind of policed for something so simple. But then as the days went on, you kind of really appreciated how serious everybody was taking it and how everybody was, you know, following the rules because it it felt like such a collective community of people coming together to to really try their best to to stop it and... um, we didn't know how long it was going to go on. At first, it was just two weeks. So we were kind of like, oh, you know, we can do two weeks. And then things in the whole entire world just seemed to crumble day by day. So every day we would wake up and, you know, you'd have that moment in the morning where you wake up and you, you kind of forget what's going on. And then it hits you like a like a brick wall. Like, oh, yeah, there's a global pandemic and life is, is completely different. And I just felt like things were changing really fast and especially with the airlines, it seemed it was really hard to know whether flights were going to continue. And, you know, we were kind of in limbo every single day. Like, well, should we stay here? Like, because if there's not a cycling season, like as much as we love Girona and Girona is our, our second home, it kind of felt like, why are we here if we're not here, you know, for the racing? Because we have a home in California as well. And my family's there and at first we're like, well, we're in Europe, so we're closer to Olivia's family. But if air travel stops there in Ireland, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to get to them either. So we might have been closer in terms of distance, but not in reality. And my family's in Utah, so at least if we're in California and something happened, we could drive to Utah if we needed to. So that was a bit of a pull. And, yeah, we just we, we decided – kind of last minute after I think we had been there for about only like a week and a half of the lockdown, which now is like, it's nothing compared. I think they're going on their like sixth week of, of being stuck inside. So yeah, we made the decision and flights were few and far between. And, um, yeah, we, we pulled the trigger and booked a flight and then the whole experience from there was just even creepier, but yeah, and, and when it was happening, I just kind of felt like I should write this down because this is this is something that you're never going to, hopefully never going to experience again, and it's something I never thought I would experience in my lifetime, so kind of wanted to, to write a bit of it down and just kind of get a little bit of it out. I mean, just days before the lockdown started, you were on your way to raise Strata and at the airport with Ruth your teammate getting ready to to go to Italy and then it all kind of snowballed really fast right yeah we we were we were headed to the airport and we hadn't really we had heard kind of like some mumblings like ah maybe Strada will get canceled and we knew the race organization really wanted to put it on it was more the Italian government that was kind of trying to stop large gatherings so they're like well maybe they'll do it without spectators and so we kind of thought oh it might get canceled that'd be really sad if it does but it didn't it really didn't seem like it was it was gonna it was gonna happen so we were we're headed to the airport and we were also with Katie Hall because she was on our same train and we were in different train cars and Katie texted me and she was like uh my team director just told me to get off the train not go to the airport and to go home because it's probably gonna get canceled 
And Ruth and I were like, what? Because we hadn't heard anything from, from our director. She had just said, you know, keep going as, as planned. And we were going about three days early because we were going to do some recon. Um, and so then I, I texted Georgia and I was like, uh, Georgia, bulls, bulls are not boarding their flights. So what are we doing? Should we come? Should we not come? Because also then it was like, well, if it's going to be canceled, you want to avoid as much travel as possible with what's going on. So we didn't want to get to Italy and then have to turn around and, and come straight back. So she didn't, she kind of was like, hold on, I'm trying to figure it out. So it was all kind of happening as we were like in the train to the airport and then in a cab to the airport. And then we got to the airport. And as soon as we stepped out of the cab, Georgia texted us and was like, don't get on the flight girls, go back home. So then it was like, yeah, this is getting, getting pretty real. And, um, I think even just a few days after that, like things had snowballed so badly around the world that I was like, I kind of want to go back to the day where Strada being canceled was like the worst, the biggest, thing. <laughs> yeah, the biggest worry and like the most upsetting thing because now it just seems like everything, like all the races fell off the calendar really fast and there's people around the world suffering and there's economies crashing and just, yeah, it just seems like everything everything crumbled really, really quickly. And then suddenly the cycling aspect of it just started to feel really small, even though it was my whole world. Like cycling is, is my job. It's, it's, it's a big part of my whole world. It just started. Yeah. I, I, I think my, my inner, my inner stress and um, like priorities just, just changed really quickly, which I didn't even realize could happen until, until something like that happens. You don't realize that you're what matters most can, can change that fast. Yeah. Lauren, um, Lauren Rowney talked a little bit about that last episode with Gracie Elvin and Sarah Roy about just with everything that's going on, it seems it puts cycling being canceled into perspective. Cause it's, it's really not that big of a deal in the in the current climate I mean when the season starts back up again if it starts back up again and then what the damage that's done to the sport with this we can kind of take that on at a later date because nobody knows what's going to happen um but as far as everything that's going on right now in cycling not being able to race the Ardennes this week is kind of a little bit nah, not it's not the end of the world anymore yeah, exactly. And I think, I think every athlete kind of grieved it in a, a, a different way and kind of in different levels and over time. And I might find that I, I pushed down the, the grief of like, you know, missing certain things about the season too quickly. And I might grieve it later. Who knows? My sports likes like, maybe that will come up, but <laughs> I think I only had, you know, I only had the mental capacity to really be focused on, on you know the state of the world and and having empathy for I mean I'm really lucky because we're still getting paid I still so I still have a job and to be honest my day-to-day has not changed that much um I work also customer service and I've always done that for home from home so that's not really changed and I'm still riding I'm not training as hard as I as I would for sure and I'm definitely enjoying some some more baked goods and and stressing a lot less about all the the small things that you have to worry about to really be at the peak of your performance. But day to day, not that much has changed. But you know, I try to I try to stay really informed with what's going on in the world and and read the news and and but also not get too sucked into it because that can, that can also be that can also be a lot. But yeah, I think. The cycling will come back, and it. I think focus, thinking too far into the future, and 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 really stressing and worrying about you know all of that with so much unknown right now, would just be a lot of of extra stress. Like we don't we don't know when we're gonna race, and we don't know yeah how this is gonna what the happening with the economy is gonna affect cycling. I mean, I'm sure it's going to. It's it's affecting every aspect of every sport so I'm sure there's going to be some impact but you just have to take it day by day and I think thinking too far into the future just it gets really scary and it can just really make you too stressed and there's enough stress in the world right now so I think 
yeah, I'm just taking taking everything one day at a time. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good way to handle it. There's not really anything else we can do than just take it one day at a time, I don't think. Yeah. Um, uh, going back to your piece that you wrote for Cycling Tips, that if anyone's listening to this and they haven't read it, I highly recommend you read it because it was amazing. Um, just the way that you are able to voice your your thoughts through the piece is really, really great. Um, and I was crying reading it because I also, Girona is also my home and you were talking about the streets of Girona being empty and it's just heartbreaking. Um, but you, at the end of the piece, you talked about getting back to California and kind of going back in time a little bit. You've been back home now for, um, a couple weeks and now it's, you're in lockdown in California, although you are able to ride outside. So that's a major difference from, yeah, major difference from Spain. Um, so what is it like now kind of being back in California and having to go through it all over again? Yeah, that was one thing Olivia and I were really worried about because we knew we were kind of, um, it was definitely going to be a step back in time coming back to the U S because the U S as a whole, the response to this has been extremely slow and it's also been different in every single state and governors have had to kind of take over because our federal government just is not doing a very good job. So governors are having to, to really step up and, and take the lead and do what's best for their states. And I mean, I'm really grateful that I live in California and our governor, Gavin Newsom, put into place shelter in place before I think anywhere else in the country. So even though the cases weren't huge here yet, he, he, you know, was like, we need to do this now. So they don't get big. I think so many people are waiting until, Oh, we don't have any numbers. So we don't need to shelter in place when (laughs) you, you shelter in place so that your numbers don't get big. You don't do it once it's already, you know, blown up a bit. So, but, but when we came back, it was, I think they had only been, they had put a shelter in place just a couple of days before we came back, but it was definitely more relaxed than, than the, the shelter in place in um, Spain. So we, we got back and we, we landed at the airport and we found ourselves like, well, first we got off that plane and I thought for sure, you know, they would take our temperatures. They would be really strict because the whole asymptomatic part of this virus is really scary that you could have it, but not know and not have any symptoms when all they did when we got off the plane was ask if we had had a fever and what countries we traveled to. And I was like, well, you can have coronavirus and not have a fever and still be spreading it. So it just seemed very relaxed. And that was a little bit scary to me that, 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 that they were that relaxed. I mean, in one way I was happy because I did want to get through the airport quickly and I just wanted to get home and away from people and, and just, you know, be in our home in California and be able to relax there. But in another way, I was a little bit scared that they were being this relaxed about people coming from Spain, which at the time was the second or the third world worst country in the world, I think. Um, and so we get through the airport and then we found ourselves kind of jumping away from people because the social distancing thing hadn't really set in yet. People were very, people were very like the baggage claim. We're like, oh, okay, that's you're like right up on me. And um, then we ended up we had to call an Uber because it was the only way for us to get home. And um, we told the driver we were like, you know, we just came from Spain. Like we were very transparent and and he was like so relaxed about it. He was like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, it's no problem. <laughs> um, and just, yeah, not acting like it was a big deal at all. And, and then, yeah, we were kind of like, okay, we're, we've gone back in time. We're going to have to, we might be a little bit on edge for a while because, yeah, we just came from a totally different climate of this virus. So, but then, you know, as days went by in California, people got more and more serious and and they started policing the shelter in place a bit better. Like at first people were driving places to recreate. So like then there was a bunch of people on beaches and on trails and in parking lots and all the state parks. So they closed all the state parks and they closed, you can't park anywhere to recreate. Like you have to go from your home. So if you're going running or you're going riding, you have to do it from your home. You can't drive anywhere, which is really good because at first that was a bit of a struggle. Um, and people are taking it more seriously, but, it really was hard when we first got home. Like even our friends and family and people we would talk to were kind of like, 
just in denial about how bad this was. And we wanted to shout like, everybody, please take it seriously. This is really scary and it's going to hit the U.S. and it's going to hit the U.S. hard because of the way it's being thought of as a foreign virus, which just makes me so mad because this virus is everyone is susceptible. This is not a foreign virus. And the fact that the media was pushing that was just really making us angry. And yeah, there was just so many things that we had to, we had to do a lot of, uh, of um, not meditating, but just trying to take deep breaths and, and, and kind of explain things to people because uh, yeah, it took a while for it to set in here. And thankfully now in California, people are really serious, obviously because um, we have a governor who put measures in place and, and, and they're policing it really well. And <clears throat> it's, re it's gotten really bad in New York and it's really sad. And I think people see that on the news and, and I think it's good that they see that and they, and they know that it's bad, but there's still, there's still a lot of places like my, my whole family live in Utah and it's one of the eight States that still hasn't put a shelter in place order in. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's really stressful because my mom actually works in a prison, which prison is not a place you want to work during an epidemic <laughs> because yeah, obviously if, if it gets in there, it's just going to be really bad. And, um, yeah, they, there's people are still working in Utah. It's not like they've closed like restaurants and stuff, but there's still, people are still working and moving about and the, U the Valley that they live in is super populated. So I just really worry about that. And, and my mom cares for my elderly grandparents who are like 87 so she's really stressed about that because she's going to work and, and she's around all these people and she's out of prison. And then she has to take my grandparents' groceries because she's told them, like, you can't go out, but who else is going to take care of them, you know? So it's, yeah, it's it's definitely stressful. And it's stressful that we don't have a federal response and there's not a federal mandate for everybody to have a shelter in place. Um, so everybody's just having to kind of do what, what their state says to do and yeah, my, my family's all still, they're still working and, and moving about and being as careful as they can. But I mean, if you're, if your state doesn't say shelter in place, then, then you have to go to work, or you're going to lose your job. So yeah. it's kind of crazy, man. That is crazy. It is really interesting how each country is responding. Uh, it says a lot. And, and it is definitely interesting coming from like an American standpoint, how Spain reacted and everybody just did what they were told, especially Spain. Cause I see Spain as kind of this rebel country a little bit. <laughs> and maybe it's cause we're in Girona. So we're in Catalonia. So it's in the middle of trying to split from Spain. And so we've seen all of the protests and stuff. So maybe that's why I kind of see it as a rebel state or a rebel country, yeah. but it's, it's cool that they they all rallied and responded as they should. Yeah, it was really it was really amazing. And at first it was really eerie. Like it felt very strange to, you know, you walk out to go to the grocery store and to not see a soul. I mean, I live in in Old Town Girona around like three museums and I usually there's hordes of tourists. You live like, on the busiest street in Girona basically. <laughs> on the busiest street so to walk out every time I walked out the door and just it was silent. It was utter silence. You didn't hear anything. It and it was so eerie and and just to walk to the grocery store and they would only let a certain people amount of people in at a time and um there was tape on the ground, you know to say like how far apart you need to stay. And, and now that seems normal because that's happening here, but I had never experienced this before. So it just felt so strange. And at first it felt a little scary, but then after a while it started to make you feel really safe because you're like, okay, they're doing every single thing they can and everybody's obeying this. And the police aren't out here to get mad at anybody. They're trying to protect us. So as soon as you kind of realize that, and I just think it was really cool how they came together as a community and, um, you know, before the whole world was doing the whole clapping or howling, they howl here at eight o'clock. Yeah, same. But their dog really doesn't like it. Yeah, I don't think the dogs here like it either. <laughs> yeah, that that whole experience is was really cool because, you know, they were all clapping, and you know, Girona, like everybody goes out on their balconies out on the river, and you can just hear this like roar of of clapping, and mm -hmm. and that was that was really cool, and it just kind of felt like a collective community kind of coming together at a really hard time and 
yeah, it, it it felt really nice in that way. And like you you know, Gerona, you know what a nice community is and and how how people you know it's a, it's a small little community and people really rally around each other. And that was that was pretty evident during this as well, even though people were really scared. That's it's one of the things I love most about Gerona is the community there. Yeah, that's why we didn't want to leave. I mean, we have a nice community in California as well, but you know, we have our little family-run grocery store and Federico with his coffee shop and there's I mean, there's all the lovely coffee shops and the all the nice bike shops and the people that are really help you and all the locals and I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's a really it's a really special place and um it was also sad to think of like what it might be like when we go back because I don't know I don't know what their economy is going to going to be like I don't know how their government is going to help the small businesses like I worry about Federico and and his coffee shop and and how they're going to get through this with with no business for for months and and still having to pay the rent so it'll be it'll be interesting to see which you know businesses are able to weather the storm and and yeah I mean it's like that worldwide and it's it's really sad yeah, especially places like La Fabrica are pretty established, um, but but they even just opened up two new service courses, or three, I think, and so that's a huge strain, and Federico, his place is basically brand new. He's been open for about a year now, so. Yeah, I think he was just starting to, you know, get really busy with the, the chocolate factory that opened next door was, was some good foot oh, traffic. I, I, and- was, I was, like, so excited to go there. Oh, that place is amazing. Oh. It's you walk in and you have like you have like a personal shopper to like walk around with you and show you all the chocolate and like is like you want to try this? I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> what kind of question is that? Yes, you're silly. It almost I feel like it felt like it was like wedding ring shopping. She has like they have like this little wooden board and they walk around and they put little pieces of chocolate for you to try in it. and I'm like oh this is like more fancy than when I bought a wedding ring wow that sounds amazing <laughs> don't worry we will go there together someday oh, I can't wait I really can't wait <laughs> um kind of like on a I'm putting you a little bit on the spot right now but is there anything really positive that you have kind of embraced at this time yeah I mean it's funny. I have relaxed a lot. <laughs> and, you know, I've thought about it. I've, I've been racing. Like, this will be the longest period of time I've gone in 10 years um, without racing. And, and even in the off-season, it's usually only about a month where you really let yourself go and, and, and relax. And, and I don't think I ever really mentally let go because I'm always thinking, well, you know, Australia is in January and got to got to start, you know, training. I just never really, I think, let myself prioritize other things in life. And, and I think this has really helped me kind of relax as a person. I mean, I'm still training and I'm still doing everything, um, like I did when I was racing, but I've started to do other things like enjoying cooking more and, and baking and, you know, sharing the big kids with friends and and really connecting with family and and friends in a way that I hadn't before because Olivia and I have this thing where we we reach out to we try to reach out to somebody different every day because we have a lot of friends who are single and you know being single and in a pandemic where you can't see anybody is really hard I mean you're probably experiencing that because your fiance is across the ocean so so I think it's really hard on people that are, that are alone. And, you know, I've, we've connected a lot with Olivia's family and and we all do zoom dates. And, um, I think it's really helped families connect a lot. And I think that's, that's really positive families and friends, even though we can't see each other, I think we're probably communicating more than normal. And yeah, it's just made me really, um, it's kind of helped me with my priorities. And, and I, I think actually once, racing is back on and and we can start knowing kind of like the goals that we need to have and how we need to train I think it's actually going to make me a better athlete because I think it's it's helped me um like really learn to to relax and to restore and I don't think in the last 10 years I'd ever really let myself kind of just be for a minute because there was always the next goal and there was always the next thing 
And as scary as that is as an athlete and as, as, as lost as it can make you feel at first, once you kind of realize um, that your your fitness isn't gone forever and that elite version of yourself is not gone forever, once you realize that, you that will come back. And you just need to embrace kind of this new mindset that you have and, and, and bring that into your elite performance once, once things get going again. So I've actually, it's taken me a while to get there and some sports psych <laughs> as well, but I am actually really embracing that, that new side of me that I think I've found to just have, you know, more well-rounded priorities and be a more well-rounded person. And, um, yeah, and just the, the the human connection without human connection. It seems totally counterintuitive during a pandemic, but I feel like I've bonded with, you know, friends and family just because we're not able to see each other. So that's been really nice. Yeah, I think even non-athletes can kind of take something away from that. Um, that, yeah, this is all really scary right now, but it all, but it is temporary and it will pass and it's – it's the best time to kind of just pause and take a look and be like, you know what? I'm very fortunate to be living the life I'm living or to just kind of take assess everything that you have going for you and not focus on the crazy. Completely. And it's funny. There's been so many times where in normal life, I had had a meltdown about something like even like, trying to set up my smart trainer when I had, to, I had to do my first Zwift ride last week and I'd never set up my smart trainer before. And normally like it took me like two hours and normally I would have a meltdown because I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. But I just was like taking my time and I'm like, you know, what? this is not that big of a deal. Like I will figure it out eventually. This is not the end of the world. I don't need to throw things. I don't need to freak out. Um, and also I think with, with Olivia, my, my wife, we, you don't fight about small things because you realize like we're really lucky to have each other and the little things you'd bicker about, they just don't matter. And yeah, I think it's brought about a lot of like beautiful things. Um, just cause you just don't, you don't worry about the small things and you don't get stressed about the small things. You kind of can see the bigger picture and I am truly grateful every single day for everything that I have because, you know, I watch the news and, people that normally live paycheck to paycheck, they now don't have a paycheck. So their life is stressful normally. And now it's even more stressful. And I just, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm grateful for everything. And I think, I think for all of us to practice a little daily gratitude is, is really important during this time and not stressing about, Oh, I don't have this race to really, you know, to, to, to give me motivation during training that, you know, that seems like, such a small problem now. And I think I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of athletes, um, finding joy in, in other places. And I, I think that's really cool too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Ruth's, um, delivery bakery is pretty awesome. Yeah. I love that. I, I text her. I'm like, you have to send me pictures every day of what you're baking since I am too far for you to deliver it to me, but <laughs> you're lucky you're in the delivery zone. I am. I'm just about to tuck into one of her pretzels that she delivered yesterday well thank you so much for catching up with me I wanted to see how you were doing after your um your piece that you wrote for us and uh hopefully I'll be able to talk to you about bike racing soon yes it will come back it will come back but for now let's just yeah keep being grateful every day for all the little things So that was my chat with Taylor Wiles. I hope you enjoyed it. Taylor is a talker, or she was this time, which is great. I love it when I get to talk to someone who has opinions. Um, but yeah, that's that's all we got for today. We'll be back in two weeks. Um, if anyone has anything that they would like to hear from us, then you can write into Cycling Tips or you can tweet at us. I'm at Abby Mickey, A-B-I-M-I-C-K-E-Y. So you can tweet at me or Lauren. Lauren, your handle, please. I'm at Lauren Rowney, L-O-R-E-N, not L-A-U, um, R-O-W-N-E-Y. So it's just my name, nice and simple.
Yeah, and you can let us know what you want to hear and if there's anyone specifically you want to hear from at this time or any questions you have for the pros that we can kind of go search for, let us know. Awesome. And yeah, anything not corona related would be great. So any of those pressing questions you've had on your mind over the past months or if you, yeah, if you have a favorite cyclist, let us know and we'll see if we can reach out to them. Yeah, maybe Lauren and I could actually even the two of us do a Q&A episode. Yes, that would be that, fun. That would be so much fun. <laughs> um, so if you guys want us to do a Q&A episode, let us know because that would be very entertaining. We could even, if you did a Q&A episode with us, then you could send questions for your favorite pros and we can just get a small soundbite from them, their answer. So that's also a possibility. So Ooh. yeah, that, that would be really entertaining. So let us know and have a good two weeks. Two weeks.